Welcome to another edition of the Bible Provocateur, and I'm your host, Jonathan Eubanks. Uh, Merry Christmas. This is Christmas morning, and um, I've chosen this morning to take time out to start a, a section of commentary to begin with the book of Galatians. And the book of Galatians is a letter by the Apostle Paul that was sent to the church in Galatia, which is something of an amended version of his book to the Romans, where Paul addresses legalism. And he also shows how Christ brings freedom from and not bondage to the Jewish laws. He also points out how Christians are saved from their sins only by faith in Christ and not by any law keeping that is exhibited outwardly or inwardly, but by faith in Christ. And this is what Paul is showing and teaching in his message to the Galatian church and to the church abroad. He points out that we as Christians are free to live by the law of love and not by the law of Moses. And this is essential to understand because even Christians still find it very difficult to find safety and peace and assurance in their souls thinking that they can still please God by keeping the works of law or being by having this outward obedience as it were to works of law Galatians 1 begins by Paul saying referring to himself as an apostle Paul an apostle now, even today, we hear of those who refer to themselves as apostles. There are pastors of churches, large churches and congregations who refer to themselves as apostles. There are members of churches who refer to their pastors and church leaders as apostles. But I'm going to tell you, None of these are apostles. There are only 13 apostles, the 12 disciples, and then Paul, who became an apostle as one who was born um, separately from the others. That's another subject, and hopefully I'll get to deal with that. But Paul was an special apostle in that he did not come to the truth of the gospel through the means that the others did. But nonetheless, his doctrine and teaching was the same and the calling of an apostle that he got had the same merit for his position 
as did the other 12. What is an apostle? It's very, it is very important to understand exactly what an apostle is, what makes one an apostle. Well, an apostle is one, first and primarily, who has witnessed and learned the truth of the gospel and was taught the truth of the gospel from Christ himself. Apostles, all of them, are witnesses of the resurrected Christ. They all were witnesses of the resurrected Christ in his resurrected person. Number two, they were called by Christ. They were specifically called to become apostles by Christ personally. If there's any man on earth today or woman who refers to themselves as an apostle, they are liars. If you believe that someone you know is an apostle, you are wrong and incorrect. So the other thing that distinguishes an apostle from other men is that Christ gave them the ability to perform the miraculous. He gave them the ability to suspend the natural order of things. And that was intended to authenticate not only that they were sent by Christ himself and that they received, um, but also that they received the message of the gospel from God himself. So to be called an apostle is a very important calling. It's a very important calling, but it is one whereby they received their truth from Christ, the gospel truth from Christ himself. Number two, they witnessed the resurrection. They were actually in the presence of the resurrected Christ. And number three, they were given the ability to perform miracles, which would authenticate their calling and would authenticate their message. Paul was an apostle. Then he goes on to say in the first verse that he was not sent from men or by man, but by Jesus Christ. Galatians chapter one, verse one. Paul says he was an apostle, not sent from men or by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father. Now, we have to make a careful survey of the scriptures when we read and when we consume the truth. And we need to make a careful examination when the gospel is taught to us by our called pastors. When we hear these sermons, we need to make sure that when we, when we, that we don't just glaze over truths as we read them or hear them and assume 
that what we are to understand is what is conveyed. Because men are fallible. I'm fallible. You're fallible. Your pastors are fallible. We can make mistakes. It is important for us to examine these truths and to prove that they are true. We need to study to show ourselves workmen that need not to be ashamed. Moving on. Paul says he was an apostle. He was not sent by men or by a man. Meaning, he was not appointed by any kind of a council. He was not laid, there were hands were not laid on him by any group of men to give him permission or authority to go out and to preach the truth. He's saying that he was authorized not from any particular group or organization or uh, denomination or anything of that sort. But he also says that he was not sent by a man. So there was also the idea conveyed here that Paul's communicating that he was not appointed by any single individual, not by Peter, not by James or any one of the other disciples, not by any type of a, a religious leader of any sort from among the Pharisaical sects or the Sadducees or the Essenes or any group or any man. But he says that he was sent by Jesus Christ and God the Father. Now, to the careful reader and observer, you must understand that by Paul saying he was sent not from men or by a man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, we should understand something very critical here. Because this first verse of the book of Galatians, in the first chapter of Galatians, we are told that Paul was not sent by a man, yet he says he was sent by Jesus Christ, who we know to be a man, who we know to be alive and well in resurrected form, in heaven where he now resides at the right hand of his father. We know Jesus Christ to be a man, but yet Paul says he was not sent by a man, but yet he was sent by Jesus Christ and God the Father. So what does this tell you about Jesus Christ? That he is God. He is something more than a typical man. He is not an ordinary man. He is God and man, the God man. Jesus Christ is divine and Jesus Christ is human. But yet he is not an ordinary man. And he is the only man who can be said to be of divine origin and of human origin at the same time and perpetually so. So I believe that when Paul says he was not sent by a man, but yet sent by Jesus Christ, he acknowledges Christ to be something more 
than a man. And, and when he says prior to that, that he was not sent from men, plural, here he also says that he was sent, that he was sent by Jesus Christ and by God the Father. That is the council that has approved and made Paul an apostle and sent him to minister to the Gentiles. He says that he was sent by Jesus Christ and God the Father. And by this, he also says that he puts them, he also conveys that he puts them on equal footing. He was sent by Jesus Christ and by God the Father, who are the tribunal, who are the tribunal that appoint men to be their ministers and who equip them to do the work of the ministry and to do that in a very special way and at a special time, which was at the early stages of the building of the church. Now, he says that he was sent by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead, meaning he was sent by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him, meaning God the Father raised Jesus Christ from the dead. And all the other brothers and sisters with me. So let me read the first part of chapter uh, verse one again. Paul, an apostle sent from men, not sent not from men or by a man, but by Jesus Christ and God, the father who raised him from the dead and all the brothers and sisters with me. So it is God who raises us all from the dead. Nothing here too difficult for us to understand. We as believers incur two resurrections. One is that spiritual resurrection whereby we pass from death to life in this life once we believe in Christ as our Lord and Savior who gives us justification by faith in him and giving us accept, uh, making us accepted by his Father. So we see here that Paul, again, in verse two, he is writing this letter to the churches of Galatia. Because it is apparent that they have a problem with certain tenets concerning the faith that he needs to make sure they get cleared up upon. So this letter is written to the church of Galatia. But uh, let me go back, step back a moment, because I, I forgot to clear up one point about the two resurrections. The first one, as I was saying, was our spiritual resurrection is the first resurrection when we come to have faith in God through Jesus Christ. But the second one is that final resurrection that takes place when the body that has died or is alive at the time Christ comes will be changed 
And that same body that died or that is still in existence when Christ comes will be transformed and renewed into a spiritual body, which will be physical, but it will have properties that are spiritual and that have capabilities of things that are cannot be understood while we yet live. And we saw samples of this uh, after Christ's resurrection. But again, the resurrection topic is something I will address in forthcoming sessions in the Bible provocateur. But anyway, now we go back to verse three. We go to verse three. To the churches in Galatia, Paul writes. And he starts off in verse three by saying, grace and peace to you from God, our father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So first thing that we need to look at in verse three is that Paul says grace and peace to you. Now, this is his uh, part of his opening salutation to the Galatians. And the whole salutation or the opening of his letter goes from verse one through to verse five. And then starting in verse six, he goes on to start his arguments and laying down his premise for what he is about to communicate to the church of Galatia. But he starts off or you can he in verse three, he is still continuing his salutation and he says, grace and peace to you from God, our father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace. You will find that whenever you see a salutation. Whether it's grace and peace or grace, mercy and peace. We see these happen in various letters and epistles. But one thing that it is important to note is the consistency of the order of grace in peace. Grace in every salutation and as an active doctrine always precedes peace. Here you see grace and peace. In other places, you will see grace, mercy, and peace. But in every instance, it is notable that grace is always first and peace is always last. If mercy is included, it is always in between grace, mercy, and peace. The reason for that is because of a simple truth. There is no peace, no peace without or apart from God's grace. It is only his grace once accepted that one can now have peace with God. So what does this mean? Grace is what the gospel is all about. Grace signifies that teaching encapsulates the biblical teaching that the only way you can be saved is through grace, is by grace, which comes by way of faith. Grace, as we all know, is unmerited favor 
meaning that God gives us grace, gives us saving grace through no merit or deserving of our own. This is what the gospel is all about. Being saved through faith apart from any merit on our own, on our part. We did, did nothing for it. So it is impossible to have peace with God apart from having grace. It's important to understand that grace is not some random uh, ideology that is that all men have, but it is the truth whereby all men have access to salvation. However, this grace must be granted to us. We must be given faith by God. And once we are given the faith by God, then it is once we're given the faith by God, then it is the faith which gives us access to grace, to mercy and to peace. Faith is the key that we all need in order to lay hold of God's grace. Faith is that key. Now, when the world talks about peace, when the world talks about peace, it can mean many things, but primarily it speaks of a trouble-free life in some instances. In the primary instances, it talks about the fact that countries are not going to war or are not or are not fighting against each other. And in personal relationships, it can be mean similar similarly that you no longer have a beef or a problem with another person or they with you. And while this type of peace can be a type of can be peaceful. This is not the kind of peace that gives you or grants you salvation or that gives you peace between you and God. It is true. You can have peace with another man between another man, between you and another person. It is true that you can have that we can have peace between nations. But neither of these types of peace can warrant the favor of God for having it. The peace that you can have with God must be the type of peace that means that God will no longer hold you responsible for standing before him in your own sins. This peace only comes through the saving grace of God when you have been given the faith by him to believe in him through Jesus Christ 
to be your savior. Who stood before God? Who stands before God in our place? Because he was obedient to God's law perfectly and flawlessly. And by grace, if we believe in that, by grace, we are saved. And that means that the works that Christ did, he did on our behalf. His obedience to God's law, therefore, becomes our obedience. Therefore, when God the Father faces us, or when we face him in the day of judgment, what he will see is that we stand before him as servants who were obedient and therefore accepted in the beloved. Is this a hard concept? No, but it is very difficult for men to accept because men are accustomed to believing that whatever they do, they have earned. And in this case, it is impossible to earn grace and therefore impossible to earn peace. I will stop here for now and I will pick up this theme and this subject in the next message. This is the Bible Provocateur and I'm your host, Jonathan Eubanks. May God bless you and may you have a merry, merry Christmas. This is a short one, and I'm looking forward to resuming in the new year. May God bless.